From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast, stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And in this episode, we're going to hear a little bit about the work that the Lord is doing in East Africa. And specifically, we want to hear about things that are taking place in South Sudan and in Uganda. Our guest today is Edward Dima. Edward lives in Uganda currently, but is originally from South Sudan and has a very faithful and fruitful ministry there in that place. Edward and I met face-to-face for the first time back in 2015 at a conference in Europe uh, and have been able to stay in touch through social media a little bit since that time, and I'm really excited for you to hear from Edward today. Edward, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Edward, why don't we just start and begin with you sharing some with us about your family, your background? All right. Thank you, Brother Akin, for giving me this opportunity to share with you and to share with many that are listening, that are seeing our conversation today with you. My name is Edward Dima. I am a minister of the Word of God in South Sudan, originally Sudan, but in 2011, South Sudan turned to be a nation of its own. So now I I oversee the work of the kingdom of God in South Sudan, and even uh, part of uh, Northern Sudan also inclusive, and then Northern Uganda. So currently, this is where I am. I am married to Rose Dima, where the Lord has blessed us with four children. Praise the Lord that they are doing well by the grace of God. And I am currently in Northern Uganda. So that's currently my current location where I'm located in Northern Uganda refugee camps. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Edward. You know, one of the things that I always love to hear is to hear how people came to faith in Christ. You know, each person has a unique story, a a unique salvation testimony. So I would love for you to share with our listeners how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, my brother. In 1992, it was at the middle of the fighting in South Sudan. I was in Juba, in South Sudan capital, and uh, a sense of hopelessness because of uh, the continuous bombardment of the city of Juba and lack of food, and we really don't see if you will be alive in the next one hour. So in June 1992, I encountered a minister from Egypt. He came to Juba, and then he had... uh, what we call a family convention, which was uh, taken in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 31 and 32. And that time I met the Lord as my savior. And from that time, then I committed myself to follow him. And I think the bigger part of it was in 1998, when I met the Southern Baptist missionary in Northern, in Uganda, in the Southern part of Uganda, and the area of ginger. His name was uh, called Harold Cathy. He was a Southern missionary, Southern Baptist missionary. 
and he visited the refugee camp when I came back from when I came from South Sudan. I came to northern Uganda, and then I I settled in that refugee camp. So I met him, and then he shared more about what God is doing through his ministry. And that time he was running a Bible school. The name of the Bible school is called Global Theological Seminary. And then he encouraged me and one of my colleagues called David Kaya uh, that we should go and attend the training. So I think by me going to attend that training, it made my stand now solid. And even it made my heart really to bleed for my people. So it was that meeting and that training which I had later, which made my faith solid. And that was in 1998. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You know, you've already mentioned some that, that you're originally from South Sudan. You've talked some about some of the war, some of the fighting, the refugees. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what life is like for refugees? What is life like in, in the refugee camps? Yeah, you know, many of our listeners maybe have heard about some of these things on the news, but maybe they haven't heard a lot about what life looks like on a day-to-day basis. And I know you continue to work with refugees today. So can you share with us some about what is the life of, of a refugee? What is life like in some of these refugee camps? Thank you very much, my brother Akin. In fact, um, I grew up entirely in the refugee life. I was born in 1969, and that time I was born in South Sudan. I fled my father and my and myself as a kid. I fled to, to northern Uganda. We settled there until 1972. People went back again to South Sudan. And in 1983, another war started again and pushed us back again to northern Uganda. We stayed in northern Uganda until 2005. People went back to South Sudan to settle. And apparently, again in 2017, violence reached my home area. And uh, it was so horrific that I was able to see a horrific pictures. Not even pictures, but that was me live seeing somebody who was uh, a lady was raped and then uh, she was uh, shot, so dead, and she was set on fire. And that picture of what I saw practically really frustrated me so much. And I tried to resist to stay back because people kept coming to First Baptist Church where I was pastoring. And then uh, as they keep coming there, and then we'll, we could accommodate them, and then they will start running to Uganda. So apparently I was the last person to be left, and then there was no way I can stay because my people that I am dying for have fled. So the place is vacant. Then we, we started running again, following them to northern Uganda. So coming back to the question of the life in the refugee camp, it's not an easy life. First of all, a refugee is given full ratio, which is like uh, six kilograms of maize corn, where you eat it for one month. You are given a small property, like 20 by 20 meters land for you to construct your own shelter. You are given a tap, a tapling, and that's all. So life becomes uh, a nightmare, apparently. 
because where you you were was a little bit fairer than the life in the refugee camp. So then from there, life becomes so hard, no schools, no hospital. I mean, the time frame of three months, you will have no services really that you need. You shower once after two days because there is scarcity of water, you see? So things are not really right or they are not good as a refugee. So that was my personal experience. But of course, I had been experiencing these things throughout my life on and off fighting in South Sudan and back to Uganda. So we call it back to back. See, so apparently most of the South Sudanese really never experienced life that really a human being deserves. So that is my personal experience as a refugee in northern Uganda. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You know, just some of those examples of, of even seeing people shot and killed in front of you, you know, being given a small space where you have to construct your own shelter. I mean, these pictures, these images, you know, are, were a reality for you. And so I think it helps our, our listeners to understand a little bit of what, what your life, what your experience uh, has been like. Now, you've talked some about, you know, what it means to grow up and, and to be a refugee, to live life in the refugee camp, but you are also a pastor, a church planter. The Lord has used you, is continuing to use you in a, in a mighty and powerful way. And so I would love for you to share a little bit with us about uh, some of your work as, as a pastor, as a church planter, maybe some of the things that you've been involved with the last three to five years or so. Well, I thank you very much, uh, Paul, uh, for this opportunity again. As a pastor, when I came back, when I came to Uganda, I, when I say coming back, because back to back, you know. So when I came in 2017, of course, there was something that profiles my heart. And that is in Romans, Paul, Paul's letter to Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3, you know, praying for his people. And Many of these people that Paul prayed for did not know Jesus Christ. They are pursuing the law according to their own desires, you know, and that is what profiles me to see that now I'm a refugee come. Now I have my tarpaulin, my shelter. Now, what is the next thing that I need to do? I have to encourage other pastors that are going through difficult situations like mine so that we can encourage one another, pray for one another, and we can. Uh, just stir the hearts of the other pastors for us to start churches. So we decided to say, okay, let's start more churches. And it's unbelievable that, you know, through prayer of brothers like Danny Akin and other ministers from U.S., they start praying with us. And then we, we are able to see churches planted. And, you know, within a short time, multiple churches planted all over the northern Uganda. And I'm so happy that even my life in the refugee camp is worth, it's worth really, it's very, very important that I, you know, God has his own plan. But then my being in the refugee camp looks like it's even better because in the, an opportunity and tribes, some of the tribes that I, I didn't have access to them because of insecurity on the road and because I have no knowledge of who they are. But then because they are in the camp, it becomes so easy for me and other colleagues to share the gospel with them. And now multiple churches are getting planted. 
One example is uh, there is a church in a Germany refugee camp. It is called Boroli. Boroli has uh, about 35 different tribes. And South Sudan has about 62 different tribes. So we are able to hit that refugee camp. So 32 people of different tribes accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that means when the war will be over, people will return back to South Sudan. Now multiple churches will sprung over all the South Sudan where we were not able to have access to those locations, now we have them. So this is currently what we are pursuing. We are trying to help these people in the discipleship so that when time has come and they have gone back, then we would like to see that they plant churches of their own in those locations. So I I look at uh, my being in the refugee camp is a potential that God brought these people, even if they are going through difficult situation, they lost property, they lost lives, but they have Jesus Christ in them. I think that's the only joy that I have in my heart. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, we see in, in the New Testament that God is sovereign over people and their movements and migrations, and we see the same thing is happening where you are today. The Lord is sovereign over where His people are moving and migrating, and and yes, uh, there's there's obviously hardship, hardship that that I have not experienced, hardship in many ways that I can't even imagine, and yet in the midst of that hardship, it seems like the Lord has a plan and a purpose, and He is using you in a powerful way to be a light for the gospel in that place and to help plant churches that then, you know, in the future are going to be spreading and scattering into different areas uh, in that region. And so encouraging to hear about the work that the Lord is doing there. You know, we hear and we read a lot about the growth of the church in Africa, and and it sounds like even what you were just describing, you have been able to see and experience that uh, firsthand. So I want to kind of ask two questions there. The first question is, as you think about the growth of the church in Africa, maybe where you are, but even broader than that, what are some of the things that are encouraging to you as you think about the growth of the church in Africa? Let's look at the sub-Saharan Africa, for example. And that's where South Sudan and Sudan fall within that uh, perimeter. We are seeing a spontaneous growth of the local churches. Particularly, I'm talking in terms of the Baptist churches, for example. We have never known anything about Baptist work in South Sudan. So we, we will consider ourselves as the founders for the Baptist work in South Sudan. So in my lifetime, I'm able to see sporadic church planting movement that has started uh, even unbelievable, in a believable way, that within a short time, we're able to see like within a year, over 100 churches planted. And then now, as Baptists work in, uh, in the northern Uganda, I mean, in the last three, four years, we were able to see almost 200 churches planted all over northern Uganda. So this is uh, unbelievable for sure, and it's for real. And now what we are doing now is to strengthen these churches now. You see, we are now moving towards now strengthening these churches we are moving towards yeah, having this discipleship training for these people uh, so that they can they can really get rooted so that we will see more churches planted in the next 10 years. So ideally, we are seeing that if uh, peace will return to South Sudan, we will see a number of churches will be planted all over South Sudan. And also, 
you know, we are planting churches in northern Uganda for the Ugandans. I think this is what I have not mentioned earlier. We are not only considering the geographical location of a particular place, or let's say uh, uh, colonial boundaries that were there set by uh, the people in the past. We are beyond those geographical locations. So our concern is to see that Jesus Christ is preached in northern Uganda, in eastern Congo, northern Sudan, and south Sudan, and even now in western region of Gambela. You know, we have churches in uh, in western region of uh, Turkana, in western Kenya. See, all this is our networking. We are trying to do a networking together to see that the movement of church planting grows all over this sub-Saharan Africa. And that is our ideal. As long as we are still alive, we will see it happen. But then if God calls us home, then those people that uh, we train them will continue with the vision. You see? So I think that's what I'm, I'm talking about in the area of church planting movement in the sub-Saharan Africa. What was the other question? The other side of the question was, okay, so that's kind of what's encouraging you is to see the growth and see the good things that have happened. But let me ask the other side of the question. Is there anything that's taking place in terms of the growth of the church that concerns you? Are there any concerns that you have? Is there... <laughs> Are there things that you yes. see and observe that you say, you know, these are things that maybe are a little bit discouraging or they concern me? What would those be? One of the biggest, biggest, biggest problems that I am observing is the lack of theological training. And I, I think I did talk to Danny Akin. I talked to John Ewart, Ewart. And now I'm talking to you as well and many other listeners. You know, South Sudan, for example, is a virgin land for the gospel. South Sudan, we didn't have really the true gospel that has been preached in that land. And uh, practically we are seeing the lack of gospel in that land because of continuous violence in this country. Continuous uh, cattle restoring, like cattle theft. And this is because of emptiness of God's word in people's heart. So we are seeing if truly... The word of God is taught to the people, and then the gospel reaches to the people. And a true gospel that can make the brothers in northern Sudan and south Sudan to make a U-turn, then we will be able to realize peace in the entire nation of the two Sudans. But as long as there is absence of the gospel, we will see that the continuous fighting will continue to be there. Currently, I'm seeing the big issue is theological training for pastors. Actually, I wrote to the associate director for mission in Southeastern. And this is what I wrote. I need you to come over, come over to help start for us a Bible school. In this time that I'm still the president of the Baptist Convention, it is my desire to see that we start a Bible school, multiple Bible schools all over that region in South Sudan. And then even in Northern Sudan as well. As you know, Northern Sudan is predominantly Muslims. So we have started some networking of churches within northern Sudan. So these people, the only thing we can eradicate, false doctrine that had uh, existed for the last a thousand years, is through the word of God. And actually it's through teaching, and the teaching should be a sound biblical teaching. And now that will be even the last the call when I will be ending. I will be calling people to come so that we can rally together 
and be able to start multiple theological schools in that virgin land of South Sudan and Northern Sudan. No, that's good. That's helpful. I appreciate you sharing some of those needs, some of those concerns. And yeah, theological education, that, that makes sense. You know, the church is, is new. The church is in its infancy. It's a, it's a baby in that sense. Yeah. So, so there's a need to, to grow deep, deep roots in terms of uh, Bible and theology. Uh, making sure that you're holding tight to the gospel, knowing that there are are wolves and there's false doctrine and there's prosperity gospel and other things that are probably trying to creep in and uh, trying to cause trouble. So I'm, I'm encouraged to hear you say that you're keeping your eye on those things and praying for the Lord to provide good, sound theology for the pastors that are there. One of the questions that I had for you is a little bit more personal in nature, you know, there's there's a variety of things that, that you could be doing with your life. Obviously, you, you grew up, you were born in this area, but there's a variety of things that you could be doing. But, you know, you have since, I think you said since 1998, you have devoted yourself to the gospel ministry. And so one of the questions I have for you, Edward, is why are you, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, why are you giving your life to this work? Thank you very much. I dedicated my life to the ministry because of the call that God put into my heart to get my people saved. Number two is to get the people that are saved to be discipled. And then now, finally, when they are discipled, then we have to see that more churches are planted. So the three items is the thing that is, you know, profiling me every night and every day to live what I'm supposed to be doing elsewhere like any other people so that I can put my life for the cause of this gospel in South Sudan. Amen. You've talked a lot about the church in Eastern Congo, Northern Uganda, Southern Sudan, Northern Sudan. You even talk some about Islam and, and just the prevalence of Islam that we know is there in, in, in Northern Sudan for sure. Can you talk a little bit about, are there a lot of Muslims there in your area? Is Islam growing where you are? Is that something that, that, is, that poses a threat to the growth of the church there? Can you talk a little bit about the role of Islam there? Okay, thank you. Sudan was at one time one nation and not until july the 11th 2011 that was when nation in 98 percent muslim and even if you study the history of christianity in sudan way back in the 1800s we see that christianity was strong christianity came from egypt and it came to western western darfur and then later on, it came to capital city of, of Khartoum. And then suddenly it was swallowed up by the Islam that came from the Middle East. And then now Christianity completely was not there. And now we are trying to raise up a generation that, and uh, claim back. So that's why we have some disciples that we send them to Darfur. We have some disciples that are in southern Blue Nile. Southern Blue Nile is close to Ethiopian border. And then we have some uh, uh, disciples that we see that's bordering South Sudan and Chad. So for sure, Islam is a threat in Northern Sudan. 
they are growing every day. They have established schools where they can teach Islam. So it is really not easy even to say Christianity, to speak about Christianity in northern Sudan. So some of our, our evangelists have gone through severe persecution from their own family members. I remember one of them called me and told me that his sister came and gave him a slap. Why did he change to be a Christian? So I told him, then, what did you do? He said, well, he never responded back. And that is for real. Now, in southern Sudan, there is Islam, and Islam is growing. As you know, they have a lot of money from the Middle East, and money is being pumped to South Sudan as well. And then they are causing a lot of threat in some areas, like in Upper Nile areas, and even in the capital city of Juba. So they are not sleeping. They are raising a lot of money. They are running businesses to, to make sure they support Islamic Islamization of South Sudan. That is the agenda clearly known. In northern Uganda, where I am, we have started a church in a place called Yumbe. Yumbe is a district in the West Nile region of Uganda. And in that district, 98% of the population are Muslims. They have thousands of mosques all over Yumbe district. So we sat down and uh, we said, no, we have to plant a church within these people. So we thank God we have started First Baptist Yumbe within Yumbe town, and they are being persecuted. They were not given land for the church. Even if money is there, they don't give land for a church. So we are wrestling that issue there in Yumbe. And of course, we'll be praying that God will make a breakthrough one day. So there are multiple fellowships that are starting in Yumbe, and that is in the area of where, where there are Islam. So currently, that is what we are championing to see that uh, the gospel reaches those people in Yumbe. In most parts of Uganda, particularly in cities, Islam is on the growth. It is growing in most of the cities in Uganda. In eastern uh, Congo, we have started some churches and the churches are growing from uh, one church to 12 churches. And now I think within a short time, we'll have about 20 churches. And these churches are really rooted now, uh, fighting the traditions and witchcraft in some of those areas. Uh, majorly also in South Sudan, we are fighting man's tradition and idolatry, idol worship. So those are the things that are uh, within uh, areas where we are operating currently. That's helpful. I appreciate you you sharing some of those things about just some of the threats that that Islam is posing in different places, but the ways in which you all are still still being bold witnesses and still praying and asking the Lord to do to do the work that only He can do to to change the hearts of Muslims in these different areas. So thanks for sharing that. This is my last question for you, Edward, and would love for you just to share your response for our listeners to hear. And the question is, what is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? All right. One important thing is the theological training for pastors in South Sudan and Northern Sudan. That is priority number one. We know we are preaching the gospel. But then after people people have already accepted Jesus Christ, then they have discipleship, 
But then we have to train the leaders. So my call to all our brothers and sisters across the globe is that we need you to pray with us, stand with us in this difficult task that God has given into our hearts. We are inviting you to come alongside us to do training for our pastors. We are inviting you to come alongside us, to come to, to, to be a prayer partner, that you can only send your prayers to us and your prayers can be of great help. Yeah, so those are the two important things that I need our brothers across the globe to know. Amen, amen. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed hearing from, from Edward today. Uh, you know, recently I was reading in the book of James and, and it, you know, early in the book, James is writing to this scattered group of Jewish Christians. And he says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And as I hear Edward talk and share about his life, his experience, I am reminded of the work that the Lord is doing through him, even though he's facing trials and hardships and difficulties, uh, the Lord is, has been faithful to him. And uh, it's just encouraging for me to hear the ways in which he's moving and working through Edward and through his life and through his ministry. So as the Lord brings him to your mind, please pray for him, pray for his, his family, pray for his churches that he's involved with, pray for, as he said, uh, theological training and education for pastors there in that region. Make sure that you're praying for the work that the Lord is doing there in northern Uganda, South Sudan. To hear more conversations like this, please be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.